in a sermon series on the book of Acts where we can see what God has been doing all through history. Even while the world continues to recycle the same old message saying, oh, the church and Christianity is on the verge of dying out. Just give it some time. It's not going to last. It's going to end. It's going to end. But it does not die out. And it won't die out because it's not kept alive by us. It's kept alive by our Savior who said, I will build my, it's not ours, it's, it's what he's doing, my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we're going to look at the book of Acts again today to see what God has been doing through Christianity that is unlike any other religion. Because Christianity has crossed cultural barriers and spread through continents in a way that is unlike any other religion. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 8. And you follow along as I begin reading in verse 4. Acts chapter 8 verse Four. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now skip to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. This is the CFO of the country. And had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was in Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you. Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. 
So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Oh, this is a great passage, you guys, that doesn't just talk about what God was doing back then, but what God is still doing today. So here's the first thing I want you to see from this passage. Number one, God has never been locked into efficiency the way we are. You say, Brad, what are you talking about? Well, I want you to notice something that might not have been, you might not have noticed it at first glance. The Spirit of God taps Philip and directs him away from a mass revival that is rocking an entire city. Let's be honest, right? That's the stuff we get excited about. That's what we want to see happen, and that's where we want to stay. Why would you leave? Look at verse six. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. People were responding to the gospel in droves, dozens at a time. Jump down to verse eight. There was great joy in that city. In other words, hundreds, maybe thousands of people were coming to faith in Christ so that Philip was in the middle of a city-wide revival. Why would you leave when people are responding that way? Why not keep preaching in a place where God is moving so mightily like this? Multitudes all at once. You see, in our human logic, right? In our human logic and our love for efficiency, we say, that's how you fulfill the Great Commission. That's how you get her done right there. Entire cities with one fell swoop. Why waste your time sharing the gospel with one person? It's going to take forever. But folks, get this. People love to do studies on it. People love to read about it. People love to talk about it. And some people even try to insist that it happens again. I'm not against revival. If God wants to send revival, praise God. But there's no formula for it. And here's what I want you to understand. Mass evangelism and citywide revival has been the exception all through history. While one believer sharing the gospel with another person has been the explanation for the exponential growth of the church of Jesus Christ for centuries. God wants us to see this in Acts chapter eight, that the spirit would move Philip away from a citywide revival to go and talk to one person. Acts chapter eight, verses one to eight with citywide revival has always been the exception, while Acts chapter 8, verse 29 to 40, with one believer sharing the gospel with one other person, has been the heart and soul of the church and Christianity for centuries. 
I'm tempted to ask for a show of hands, but I'm not gonna do it. But you think for a minute, if you're here and you're a Christian, you know Jesus, you're born again, you're alive. How many of you became a Christian because you attended an area-wide, mass evangelistic event like a Billy Graham crusade or something that filled up baseball stadiums? I'm sure there's some. But now how many of you, how many of you became a Christian because someone you knew who was not famous and who had never been to Bible college talked to you about Jesus? Told you something about Jesus, a little bit of the gospel. Whether it was a family member, a coworker, a next door neighbor, a friend, an acquaintance at the gym, See, here's what we gotta get a hold of, folks. God loves to use one ordinary Christian to reach another person who needs Jesus. We love to get things done in a hurry with big and flashy. Our God loves little and ordinary, and he's not in a hurry. Never has been, never will be. Our God, get this, our God is not frantic about the Great Commission. And he's not all about efficient. He's all about effective. And he believes the most effective way to reach this world for Jesus Christ is one believer talking to G- about Jesus to one other person. Stop waiting for Brad Bigney and other full-time people to get this done in a hurry. That's not how God's been doing it, ever. When he does massive things, we praise him. But it's the exception. While the heart and soul of this growth of the church has been one ordinary Christian talking to one other person about Jesus, Jesus. But now, as God chooses to use you, that's what he's been doing and is still doing. Ooh, Let me touch on something that we really struggle with as human beings. Number two, God wants to work through you without having to confide in you. All the details of what he's doing. Now some of you more than others, and put me at the top of the list, already know what I'm talking about. I am type A, I make plans, I set goals. I don't like to head into things without all the details. There may be a few of you that are like, yeah, I just do things randomly. But most of us are not like that. Human nature is that we want all the details in advance. But look at how this goes down in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And I laugh every time I read that. Why are those three words tacked onto there? It seems kind of odd, right? I'll tell you why. He's saying when you get there, you will be in the middle of nowhere. And you might be tempted to think, what could God possibly have for me to do here? There was a citywide revival that was rocking Samaria. This can't be of God. He's like, don't do that. This is desert. 
But this is where God is about to do something. Listen to me. You might not be in a literal desert today. But you might be in a job. You might be in a place in life or a season in life where you would say, this is desert. Nothing happening right here. And there are no opportunities to do anything big for God. I am wasting my life right here. I would challenge you to rethink that, my friend. Because when you read your Bible from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, here's what you see. God loves to call people out into the desert. Think about it. He put Moses on the backside of a Midian desert, not for a weekend. Anybody know how long? What? Before he used him to deliver Israel from Egypt, Moses thought he was ready 40 years earlier. God said, you're not. Desert time. (laughs) Right? God's not in a hurry. The Spirit, read the Gospels, the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted before he led him to the cross to be sacrificed And now we've got the spirit leading Philip away from a city-wide revival out onto a desolate road in the middle of the desert because God can do amazing things in the desert without giving us all the details. And here's what we're guilty of. And maybe some of you, and I wanna help you here, You love to talk about what you would do if your circumstance, oh, what I would do for God if I wasn't in this job, if these weren't my circumstances, if this hadn't happened to me, if things hadn't played out like this, all the things I would do for God. Let me encourage you, right where you are, in what you might call a desert place, and that desert place might even be a place you arrived for some really poor choices that might even have involved sin Here's some good news. God's not done with you. He doesn't punish people for the rest of their life. It's not like you're in a different category, cannot be used. God is sovereign. You are responsible, but he's so good, he still wants to use you, not where you wish you were, not where you think you could use him, but where, where you could serve him, but where you are. Where you are. God can do amazing things in desert places but he does not give us all the details in advance he didn't give philip a lot of details look at verse 26 again the angel just says get up on the road that leads south between jerusalem and gaza pretty vague and then notice only after philip gets moving does he get the next piece of information only after he's on the road with no idea No idea what he's looking for or why he's there. Does the spirit in verse 29 say, now. See that chariot? Catch up to it. It's moving, folks. He's got to run. That's awkward. Lord, I'm going to have to run. Yeah, run. Now. 
catch up with that chariot. He doesn't tell him who's in the chariot. He doesn't tell him what he wants him to do when he gets there. We couldn't hate this more, right? But here's what I want you to notice about Philip. Seminary training, Bible college, blah, 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 blah. That's not why God was able to use Philip so well. I want you to see verse 27. Look how it begins. In the New King James, it begins with so. In verse 30, it begins with so. Both those indicate a quickness, just like, here we go, here we go. Verse 27, so he arose and went. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him. Folks, if that verse was describing some of us, it would have to begin with but, a big but, not with two T's, one. (laughs) But, Philip said, whoa, 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 God, hang on a minute. What am I gonna do when I get there? This is awkward, you don't just run up. And he looks like an important dignitary. Look how he's dressed, look at that chariot. Everybody doesn't have a chariot like that. And I think he's talking to somebody right now. I see his lips moving. They would read out loud. I can't just interrupt him. You don't just run up next to someone like this, especially not someone like that. So he arose and went. So Philip ran to him. Listen to me. Here's one of the biggest takeaways from this chapter. You want to be used by God? I hope you do. I do. You want to be used by God? Cultivate Simple, childlike obedience. Because God, God speaks most to those who argue least and uses most those who obey quickly. And I know for some of you, you'd say, this is just who I am. I argued with my parents. I argue with policemen. I argue with employers. I argue. That's my deal. Everyone has to prove everything to me before I'll do it. Well, then just get used to not being used by God because he doesn't put up with arguing. And you don't need to feel bad for God. Well, then how's he gonna get it done? He's gonna get it done without you. This is not a poor God sermon. It's not, oh, we gotta start obeying and submitting or, or, no, 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 no. God is gonna do what God is gonna do. I just wanna get in on it. Our God is on the move. He is still doing amazing things in our world. I just want to be one of those people. Want to be used by God? Cultivate simple, childlike obedience. And again, I know there's a balance, folks. There's always a theological balance when you talk about stuff. I'm not talking about just, oh, God told me to leave my home, sell everything, wear a bed sheet, stand on the top of a mountain. We could get crazy here. So this is not some charismatic, crazy, stupid. Here's what I'm talking about. You make some plans. You think about what God is calling you to do. But there's a gap. It is not all spelled out. It's that gap that I'm saying. Would you be willing to trust God without all the details? Let me say personally, I would not be here if I had waited for all the details in 1996 to come here and plant this church. Are you kidding me? 35 adults in Turkey Foot Middle School with no children's ministry. No, we're, we're singing to a boombox with a microphone in front of it and a cassette tape. This couldn't be more sad. And I love music. Sorry, Steve Barnett. But, and Brad Bigney is type A. Trust me. So I did some thinking. I did some praying. I asked some questions. 
There was a church in South Carolina of 600 people that loved us. I didn't come because things were going poorly. As I said yes to this, the leaders ran to me and said, oh, 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 we were about to ask you to be the lead pastor. Just stay and we'll let you be the lead pastor. Yeah, they didn't hate us. We had a house my wife loved, a brick ranch, fenced in backyard. It's everything she had hoped for. Babies had been born there. She had dear friends. But we both believed. We knew enough and we drove over here in a tourist station wagon, sort of sick to our stomachs, but convinced God has called us. God has called us. And I just hope I don't have to work at Red Lobster the rest of my life and pastor that they'll be able to pay me enough and maybe one day, someday. I used to sit in the little bedroom in the basement and think, imagine another person on staff. Someone to help me. I'm like, hello, Grace Fellowship, while I tune my guitar and write a sermon and try to raise up small group leaders. I am still blown away, folks. It's like... On a weekday, I just think all these cars in this parking lot belong to staff. Are you kidding me? But I had to trust God and step out without all the details. And that's not easy for me. And I bet it's not easy for you. You want to see God do more in your life? Simple, childlike obedience. Stop arguing and start obeying even when you don't have all the details and here's what I would actually say to you if you have all the details before you quote do anything for God it's probably your own idea because he rarely ever gives all the details and if you have all the details it's probably something you are doing I want to get in on what God is doing and he's doing a lot in our world today. He's just looking for the man and woman to do it through who doesn't argue and who quickly obeys. Doesn't argue and quickly obeys. Number three, God wants to use you. We love to script out who we think we could reach and who's a great candidate for Jesus Christ. God wants to use you, you realize, to reach some people not like you at all. For as long as God has been reaching people, he has delighted in using some of the most unlikely people to reach some of the most unlikely candidates for the gospel. Now, I know like attracts like. I get it. But one of the themes you see running through the book of Acts, and it's not subtle, it stands out bold and big, is that God delights in sending some of the most unlikely people into some of the most unlikely places to reach what we would think are some of the most unlikely candidates for Jesus Christ. That's how our God rolls. That's how he works. And that's what you see going on in Acts chapter eight. I mean, think about it. The spirit sent Philip to an Ethiopian eunuch. Now let that sink in for a minute. Because first of all, it means that he was a black African. Secondly, he was a eunuch. That means he had been castrated. I'll not show a diagram, but hopefully you know what we're talking about here. Which was a very common practice, by the way, in that day. If you were being groomed for a top administrative position in the government, it was just a price you had to be willing to pay for close proximity to the royal family. 
And so God, by his spirit, sends Philip, this straight-laced, middle-class Jew, to a black African eunuch who's from Ethiopia. That was a 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. And in that day, Ethiopia was thought to be on the outermost edges of the civilized world. So a good Jew would have considered this man a pagan. These two people could not be more different. And we would think to ourselves, well, God needs to find himself a black African and maybe someone who's been castrated and they can start there and talk about that. Yeah, that was horrible. And then move towards the gospel. There's gotta be a connecting point. But I got everything I was born with and I'm not African and how am I gonna reach this person? That's how God rolls. That's what God does all the time. All the time. These two people could not be more different. But God loves to use us to reach people not like us. And here's the other thing that you need to get a hold of. He also loves to put on display, folks, that Christianity and the, and, and the gospel does not belong to any one culture more than another. Oh, that is huge. That is radically different when you compare it to other religions, folks. You realize that's one of the things that makes Christianity unique among all other world religions. Every other religion in the world is very tied to a particular culture and still largely located where it began. Now, I know because of the media, we think, oh, there's more Muslims here and there's Muslims in London and, oh, the Beatles were into Hinduism and, yeah, yeah. Here's what, here's what you still need to grasp. 98% of all Muslims still live in the Middle East where it all began. 98% of Hindus are still found in India or South Asia. 86% of Buddhists still live in East Asia. But Christianity is radically different because 25% of all Christians are in Central South America and the Caribbean. 22% are in Africa. 15% are in Asia and it's exploding and growing rapidly. 20% are in Europe and only 12% of all Christians today live in North America. Christianity is not a white person's religion. Never has been Never will be. Christianity is not an American thing that we're laying on other cultures. Jesus said in John three sixteen, for God so loved America. <laughs> and he wasn't wearing a make America great cap. He said, for God so loved. Say it again. Say it again. That he gave his only begotten son. Jesus himself said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, before he went back to heaven, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter eight, God didn't waste any time getting this message from, from Philip to someone so not like him who then took it back 
to Ethiopia. If you read church history, here's a name you might know, Augustine, right, of Hippo, the Bishop of Hippo. He was an amazing man that God used. He was a black African. Many of the early church fathers were black. We don't know, but I suspect because this man went back and when your life has been rocked by the good news of the gospel, you talk about it. God quickly began to take this good news to the end of the earth. It was his intent from the very beginning. This is not some thing that we're trying to do. Oh, Christians keep trying to push their thing out onto the world. It's not our thing. It's God's thing. And God's son came for the world. And we just get to be a part of it. It's unlike any other religion today. But now since this message is about God using us to reach people who are so not like us, let me touch on something that some of you might be thinking or feeling right now. Oh, Brad, surely God doesn't want to use me. I don't know how to connect with other people. I don't have any power to change anybody. If that's you, perfect. This next point's for you. Number four, God knows you have no power to change anyone. So he wants you to talk about someone who does. Talk to people about Jesus. Not just God in general. Not just some kind of faith. Oh, faith. Not just church. Jesus. Jesus. I love it that we have a church family. Please know I'm so grateful. Our number one way of outreach that anyone comes here, considers us, checks us out, has been and still today is... Someone here is so excited about our church family and what God is doing. They invited someone else. Thank you. Keep doing it. But here's what I would say to you. If you had to make a choice between talking about our church or Jesus, go Jesus. 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 Don't just talk about God in general. Don't just talk about faith in general. Don't just talk about our church. Talk about Jesus. Look what Philip did in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, stay with me because some of you just checked out and said, perfect, that's your job, I don't preach. But he had no pulpit. He had no sermon notes. It's one-on-one in a chariot. Put the word in there, proclaim. Put the word in there, share. Put the word in there, talk. Put whatever fits more with you because this was not a sermon that had been prepared and was preached from a pulpit. This was one believer talking to someone else very much not like him about who? Jesus. Bring it back to Jesus. Bring it back. Even though this man was a black African eunuch who had been raised in a culture 1,000 miles away from Philip, Philip knew this. Philip knew this without knowing all the details of this man's life, that the good news about Jesus is the same good news this man needs. There's your starting point. There's your starting point. And listen to me, the reason I say bring it back to Jesus is that's not where people will take the conversation if you try to start a spiritual conversation. Trust me, trust me. I try to talk to people. You have to bring it back to Jesus. But I get very little pushback when I do this. You've got to acknowledge the question they asked or the things that they think they wanna talk about. Don't act like it doesn't matter. 
So, Brad, what are you talking about? Well, there's so many hot issues today, folks. So many hot issues and so much tension today surrounding gun control and immigration and racism and sexuality and gender identity. Acknowledge it's a good question. Acknowledge it's a mess. But you don't have to solve any of those issues for them before you can share Jesus. Because trust me, get this, a person doesn't have to get their sexuality sorted out first before they can come to Christ. You might have someone, let me just say, the awkwardness that sometimes we feel. There could be someone who's had, a, had surgery now, transgender, it was a man, now it's a woman, or it was a woman, now it's a man. You don't have to sort of, that person is still, they may have altered by surgery the way they were born, but it did not change that they are created in the image of God with dignity and will spend eternity somewhere. They need Jesus. You say, but here's what we do. We get ahead of ourselves. Well, I don't know what's gonna happen if they come to faith in Christ. Would they go to the women's retreat or the women's retreat? Would they go in the men's bathroom? The women? We'll trust God to help us with that. You don't have to solve all that before you share. People come to faith in Christ as they are. Praise God, you don't have to get it all together and, and fix everything else before you come. Just as I am. We come. That's what makes Christianity distinct from every other religion. So folks, it may happen. People are watching the news, right? They're not reading their Bibles. So these hot issues are what are paramount and they're gonna probably say to you, well, you're a Christian, what do you think about? Give a short answer, give a loving answer, acknowledge it's a good question and then move it to Jesus. Because that's a more important question. Who is Jesus And what has he done for us? That's why I love how Dr. Luke in verse 34 leads into this by saying, Philip opened his, say it, mouth. This is gonna be hard for some of you. I know personalities differ, but you will never love anyone into the kingdom. You may be an example, I hope you are. Please don't let your life be a contradiction to what you say. But there comes a point you must say something. The gospel can't be shared without words. So I know I've thumped it before, but it's my favorite whipping child. Let me thump it again. That popular and unsubstantiated quote from Francis Assisi, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Folks, it's always necessary to use words. You can't preach the gospel without words. It'd be like me saying to you, tell me your phone number. If necessary, use digits. I don't know what to do next. How do I do this without digits? You can't. And you can't share the gospel without words. 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 It's always necessary. God doesn't expect you to know how to untangle and solve every gnarly problem that someone throws at you. This should make you feel better. I am not able to do that. You don't have to be able to do that either. Here's what you do have to be able to do. Explain who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Simply. If you can't do that, let me encourage you to work on that first. Shut down all the blogs where you're studying gun issues and identity issues and gender issues. Know some about that. 
But if you're not ready and you don't know how to simply talk about Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us that makes him distinct from everything, work on that. Work on that. But I want you to notice something else that Philip did that we've got to keep doing today. Use the Bible as much as possible when you talk to people. Quote it from memory, read it to them, give a copy of it to them through email or a paper-bound copy if you need to, but use the scripture as much as possible. Our words have no power. His word has unbelievable explosive power. You say, the person I'm talking to doesn't even believe the Bible is the word of God. Doesn't matter. It's still the word of God. They don't have to believe it is before it can have power. After I talk to someone, I'll just pray, oh God, oh God, oh God. Cause them to not be able to shake that verse I quoted or to shake what I showed them or to, it's God's word. It's God's word that could haunt them. It's God's word that could pierce through the darkness. It's God's word that could give truth in the midst of confusion. It's God's word, not my words. So use the Bible as much as possible. See, look at verse 35 again. It's what Philip did. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture. You know what that means? He started with Isaiah 53, where the Ethiopian eunuch was, but he didn't stay there. He knew other places to go. Again, I want to say to you, do you know a few verses or passages that are really good for explaining the gospel to someone, Jesus to someone? Get yourself a few verses or passages. Philip knew where to go, how to use his Bible to point someone to Christ. But now as I conclude, I want you to notice something that stands out in this passage because it distinguishes religion from the good news of the gospel that leads you to a relationship with a living Savior. That's huge. Every other religion, here's religion, and Christianity is all about a relationship with a living Savior. And when you go from religion to a relationship with a living Savior, oh, there's something you see in this passage that always follows. You can see it at the end of verse 39, what this African eunuch does. You see it at the end of verse 39? And he went on his way. What? Burdened with a new list of things to do because he wants to be a Christian and he's gonna try harder when he gets back to Ethiopia. That's what some people think. I need to try harder. I gotta get back in church. I should be baptized. I gotta keep the 10 commandments. Ah, ha, 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 ha. There is no joy in that, my friend. That path is exhausting and joyless because it still has you at the center of it. The gospel points you outside of yourself and away from yourself to a perfect savior who's already done for you what you could never do for yourself. That's what makes it such good news and joy. joy. When you understand, oh my goodness, I've been trying to do this and I can't, but he did. You'll rejoice. That word rejoicing is a word in the original that means to be filled and overflowing with joy. It's the same thing you see earlier in the chapter. When the city of Samaria got a hold of this good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for them, it says in verse 8 that there was great joy. It's the Greek word mega. There was mega joy in the city 
when they understood, oh my goodness, you mean that's what Jesus did? That's who he is and what he's done for us? And it's offered to us? The Samaritans were hated, folks. See, we don't just have Philip talking to a black African eunuch from Ethiopia. We got him in the early chapter 8 preaching to Samaria. Folks, they hated the Samaritans. They were considered half-breeds. When Babylon drugged them off to captivity... They wisely left some of the poorest people in the land and then sent their own people there to intermarry with them. So that when the Jews were released and went back, they saw these people as traitors and hated them. God sends Philip to preach the same message to the Samaritans. Now he's got him preaching to an Ethiopian eunuch. And both responded with mega joy because there is a huge difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ when you head down the path of religion it varies but each religion basically gives you a list and says there's the way to do it do this and go hard when you head towards Jesus and you get there he doesn't give you a list he gives you a certificate of indebtedness that has stamped across it to tell us die Paid in full. Woo! When you've got a certificate that says paid in full, not by what I did, but by he did, and there's no condemnation for me, and it's not based on me, but on him, so it can never be taken away, you'll have joy. You'll go away rejoicing. Same circumstances, same difficulties, and maybe same desert place. But when you are gripped by and understand the gospel, joy follows. Joy follows. Some of you, I want to help you. I know life is hard. Vicki and I have experienced our fair share of trials, not as bad as some people, but enough. But you guys, when you know your biggest problem has been solved, you still have joy. Joy is supposed to be one of the characteristics. Of, there, there is not a place for a dour Christian. You say, it's just my personality. Well, stop being that way. It's just who I am. It shouldn't be who you are. He changes who you are. He changes your eternal destiny. He changes your identity. You're an adopted child with a robe of righteousness. He sings over you. Ah! Even in your dour little way, there should be, there's a little joy. I feel it right there creeping up it's not something you try to do it's there because when the holy spirit comes into you the fruit of the spirit is love love dour bitter dark frowny grumpy hateful we can do that all by ourselves. love joy peace patience goodness gentleness faithfulness self-control but joy there's a huge difference between religion and and a relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you, what do you have today? What do you have today? Oh, come to Christ. If you've been caught up in religion, see, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened. Sin burdens us, no doubt. But let me tell you another big burden. Religion is a burden. It's like this backpack you strap on and it's what you're trying to do. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, say it, say it again, rest. He repeats it again a verse later and says, rest for 
your soul. I mean, your soul finally comes home and rest. No more churning. No more trying to be good enough. You could never be good enough. No more, oh, there's a rest that comes into a man or woman's life when they have a relationship with Jesus Christ because they know they're saved by grace alone. You can't work for it. Through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing. When you know that your sin has been nailed to the cross and it's not your problem to contend with and that there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus, you can have joy with the same circumstances, same difficulties, same desert place. But joy. There should be some background music of joy in your life as a believer because it's not what you're trying to do for God. It's that you're following a Savior who's done it for you. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for your heart for this world. Give us your heart, God, for the world. And then, oh, by your spirit, by your spirit, would you give us childlike, simple obedience that we might stop arguing and start trusting you and get to see you work in ways we haven't seen before and get a front row seat to the theater of some of what you're doing in our world and the joy of saying, oh my goodness, I got to be a part of something God was doing there. Oh God, use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.